0: Black women are often expected to be strong for everyone around them, so reaching out to get mental health care to take care of themselves can be hard. And when they do seek help, it can be tough to find someone that looks like them and has an understanding and competency related to their experience. That is why Kristen Winchester created Her Therapy Space, a counseling service for millennial women of color in Washington, D.C., Listen to hear her own mental health story, the barriers women of color face when getting mental health care, and why rest is imperative to our wellness. The Mental Health and Wealth Show, The Mental Health and Wealth Show, The Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you so much for listening to The Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy, and I know you are ready for these amazing conversations. But before you listen, I want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money, as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests. I'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional, so content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. So if you're currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741741. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today on the show, we have someone that is Awesome and amazing, and I've worked with her before, and I'm so excited to invite her to the show. And that is Kristen Winchester. She is a licensed therapist, speaker, founder of her therapy space, a mental health private practice in Washington, D.C., and the HTS community. She partners with ambitious women of color. And professionals to break the negative thought patterns keeping them from success so they can live out their purpose with excitement and confidence. She believes that we have the power to choose and create the life we desire. And it all starts with our thinking. I'm so happy to have her on the show because I first got introduced to Kristen a few years ago when she spoke at Lola Retreat, my Women in Money event. And she had this amazing session about getting out of debt. And so to be able to have her back on the Mental Health and Wealth Show and See all the amazing things that she's done since then. I'm just so excited to reconnect, Kristen. Welcome.
1: Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for having me on your show. I'm so excited for it.
0: Yeah, I love what you're doing. I think there's so much alignment with what we're doing here and what we believe. And it's just a beautiful thing what you're doing and creating. So thank you. No problem. So we're going to dive right into the show. And, you know, at Mental Health and Wealth, We talk about the intersection of money and mental health. We believe that these are two taboos that aren't talked about. You know, mental health is just starting to get a little more limelight right now, which is great. Money's on people's minds right now, but no one's really talking still about the intersection of money and mental health. And so as a therapist... And as someone who was working their way out of debt and, you know, sharing your debt story at Lola Retreat a few years ago, can you tell me a bit more about your own money and mental health story?
1: Absolutely. So I know at about, what year was this, 2013 or so, I was just finishing up graduate school and I decided to move from D.C. to Atlanta. So I went to Atlanta with no job in place. So no job lined up, no offer, no nothing And I thought that I would just go down there and be able to find something rather quickly based on my experience and my education and things like that. So I was down in Atlanta for about six or seven months and that entire time I was unemployed. So I was unable to find a job. I had my student loan debt. I had credit card debt and I was miserable. I was depressed. All I was doing was eating and sleeping to cope with the state of my life. And I actually went to see a therapist during that time. I didn't have the money to see them consistently, but I said something has got to shift in my life. And I went to see a therapist and she diagnosed me with a major depressive disorder, an episode of depression during that time because I was just in a terrible state. All I was doing was, like I say, eating and sleeping um and swimming in debt and just feeling like I had nowhere to turn. I was hopeless, ultimately. So I can talk on and on about the intersection of money and mental health, you know, personally and with work with my clients. You know, I see it often how our money issues can definitely impact our mental health. So you
0: mentioned getting diagnosed with a major depressive disorder. I have also been diagnosed with major depressive disorder and something that I have talked about on this show is that I have been dealing with both clinical depression as well as situational depression. The situational depression was when I was also getting out of debt and feeling hopeless. And it was based on this particular triggering situation where I have had other re- you know, times in my life where it's a chemical imbalance. There's nothing, quote, wrong with my life, but I'm still just depressed. So it sounds like this was more of a situational kind of trigger for you, how were you able to kind of shift the environment so that that situation changed and you were able to kind of crawl your way out of it? And that's kind of the best way I can describe depression is literally crawling your way out of it because it's so hard and you're in such a dark place and it takes a long time. And for anyone that suffered through depression, you can't just turn it on and off. Like it it takes a while and it's at its own timing. So.
1: Yeah, because, you know, my financial situation wasn't going to change anytime soon. So I had to, one, make a decision, right, to go seek out help, even though I knew it was something that I couldn't really afford. I knew that it was something that I needed because I didn't know what to do. I, I just felt like I was at my rope's end. And going to see that therapist, even though I only saw her maybe two or three times before I ended up. Packing up my stuff and moving back to DC, that, you know, just shifted my mindset. And it really had me in a state of, okay, I need to do something in order to see some changes, right? Because the way I'm living isn't helping me. You know, I'm depressed out of my mind. All I'm doing is gaining weight because I'm eating all day and sleeping all day. Something has to shift. And when I returned back to DC, I started with actually doing the things that were in my control. So whether it was getting my sleeping schedule back in order, starting to work out and eat more clean, you know, so taking care of myself a bit better started to help with me actually doing the real mental work to start pulling myself out of that. But I had to make sure that I was well physically first in order to get to a place where I can address like those deeper issues and then ultimately work on my finances, you know, and that came down the line where I was able to pay off that some of that debt and really start pulling myself out of that hole and feel more confident in my ability with managing my finances. But like you said, it is not an easy road. It's a process. And I literally just had to take it one day at a time.
0: Yeah, I think you have to take it one day at a time. And, you know, I love the changes that you made to kind of shift things around. I recently listened to a podcast episode by Natalie Bacon, and she said something that was so powerful. I think that, you know, self care often doesn't feel good. The real self care, you know, we think of self care as bubble baths and tea, and that's all lovely. That's great. But the real self care, actually shifting your life, starts with doing things that you don't like, but you know are good for you. And, You know, that's why a couple of weeks ago I launched the Mental Health and Wealth Challenge, which is spending 13 minutes on yourself for one week. Because I'm the type of person also where I'm like, oh my God, I'm so busy. I don't have time to do any of this. And it's like, come on, you spend more than 13 minutes on Instagram a day. You can, you know, have 13 minutes for yourself. So it's about, you know, the seven minute workout. There's the signature seven minute workout. If you look that up, there's a billion apps. It's five minute meditation. I use insight timer and then one minute checking your finances. Just go through your bank account and see and doing that 13 minutes like my mood shifted every day and it was just 13 minutes out of 24 hours. And some days I really didn't want to do it, but I always felt better. Some days the mood, you know, increased a lot and some days not so much, but I still felt better and I still had that awareness like, oh, I did something good for myself So I recommend anyone who's struggling with deep depression right now, or even just feeling like you can't get started, commit to 13 minutes. You can commit to 13 minutes. And I love what you said about talking to a therapist who kind of help you get out of that. And I think therapy can be so wonderful because it helps you see things differently. I know when I went to therapy, when I was deeply depressed about my debt, I felt like I was a broken record. I felt like I was in a cul-de-sac where I was driving in circles again and again and again. And I'm like, I I can't get out of here. I don't know what to do. And when I went to therapy, it was like, oh, you're not in a cul-de-sac. Actually, there's a highway down there. There's a dirt road down there. Actually, there's an alleyway right there. And suddenly I see all these different pathways that my brain literally would have never thought of. And so that's what I think the beauty of therapy is, is you have a third party unbiased person who can tell you what to do or give you advice to help you get to where you need to go because friends and family are biased. They're going to tell you whatever you want to hear. And so if you, if you need to make deep change, having an unbiased third party can really help. And we're all conditioned in various ways, you know, with our family, with our friends, with our culture, with our heritage. And we have these beliefs, we have these conditions. And sometimes we don't even know what those limits are. But then when someone from the outside offers a different solution, you're like, oh, like, I can't tell you how many times in therapy I've been like, I literally the way my brain works would have never thought of that. And that's like where it's really beautiful. And I'm like, that's why I'm paying you. (laughs) Because I literally would not have been able to come up with that ever. Because that's not the way my brain works. So I love therapy. I'm so pro therapy. And, you know, you use your therapy experience and kind of your love for mental health. And you started her therapy space, which I'm so astounded by. I'm so happy about this. The Counseling Service for Millennial Women of Color. July is Minority Mental Health Month. And I think what you're doing is so important, especially right now. I mean, it's always been important. But I think given everything going on with the racial injustice, the protests, there's so much trauma going on that is going untreated. And I personally can't imagine that. And... I think having those dedicated spaces for someone that can feel safe and comfortable, you know, seeing someone that relates to them. And so I wanted to talk to you about what are the barriers that minorities face, especially women, when it comes to receiving mental health care?
1: Yeah, I think uh, one in particular that has just been around since the beginning of time is the stigma, you know, around mental health. And I'm starting to see that lift a bit. Things are starting to shift. People are speaking out more around mental health and their experiences with therapy and things like that, which is awesome. But, you know, in black and brown communities, it is a stigma there still. And I think that stigma that going to therapy or getting help for your mental health is seen as like weak or like you're crazy. You know, we're putting these labels on it when ultimately it's literally just taking care of ourselves as a part of our physical, you know, our brain is in our bodies and needs to be taken care of just as much as we go to the gym and do other things for our physical health. We need to make sure that we're well mentally as well. And that stigma holds people back from getting the help that they need and they end up suffering in silence and things like that. That's one barrier. Another barrier is lack of access, you know, whether it's, um, they don't have the financial resources to access care, or there's not many um, service locations in their area where they live, whether it's transportation issues to actually get to that, you know service location, lack of access is is huge. And then also, you know, within the community, Sometimes there are things just going on in our lives that prevent us from making the time, whether it's lack of childcare, you know, services for your children if you have any, or having to work long hours and not being able to fit it into your schedule. Those play a role into accessing quality care. And then, you know, when there are services in your area, they may not be provided by someone who is culturally competent, and it's important to have that representation, you know, that's Partly the reason why I started her therapy space, because a lot of people were saying that they were struggling with finding a therapist, a black woman therapist in their areas or who took their insurance. A lot of times, you know, private practice is hard to access because of those barriers with finances and insurance and things like that. So I wanted to provide a safe space for women you know, and also give affordable services so that they can access the care that they need and find it more readily of it in their area.
0: I love what you're doing. And I think it's so needed. And you touched on something really important and that is representation. And yeah, I think it is very important for someone to be able to work with someone that can understand what they're going through, that looks like them, that has a shared heritage and an understanding of, you know, things that are going on. And so I think what you're doing is so amazing. And I wanted to touch on this idea of stigma and, you know, how you said that there's stigma in the black and brown community for people to get help, especially women. I want to touch on this thing, this narrative about the strong black woman. You know, I feel like somewhere along the way, there was this narrative about the strong black woman, or unfortunately the angry black woman, which I hate both of those. Uh, kind of narratives. But we've heard that a lot, unfortunately. And I think somehow with these labels or these narratives or these, you know, things that people put people in boxes, I think that feels like a cage and people feel like, oh, I have to be strong. I have to be strong for my kids. I have to be strong for my parents. I have to be strong for people at school. I have to be strong for my job. Like I have to do everything myself because I need to be strong. And there's this feeling of having to work twice as hard to get the same results already. And I feel like these have to affect, you know, women of color's mental health. And I just kind of wanted to touch on that idea and kind of hear your thoughts.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it, it just dates back to slavery, you know, when black women were doing everything, essentially taking care of children that weren't their own feeding them, cleaning, cooking, doing everything. And this mentality that we have to be strong and have to bear all of the burdens has been crippling to Black women because they don't want to reach out for help. They don't want to appear as weak. And ultimately being strong, you know, It entails reaching out for help, asking for help, knowing when you need to rest and things like that. That does not make you weak at all. You know, actually, it shows your strength. It shows that you ultimately care about your well-being. And this premise that we have to put everything and everyone above us is absurd, but it's something that has been passed down. It's a generational cycle that needs to be broken and spoke out against often because it is, like I said, it's damaging to our mental health to have to carry the weight of everyday life and everyone else's problems and things like that. So I really want to continue, you know, in my sessions and things to advocate for rest and asking for help, setting boundaries. That's a lot of the work that I do. You know, boundary setting comes up a lot because, The women that I work with just don't know what boundaries are and how to even start implementing those and really prioritizing themselves. You know, when they think about prioritizing themselves, they see it as selfish. And ultimately, I think when we prioritize ourselves, we are able to be better caregivers or show up, you know, as more effective workers on our job and things like that. So it's ultimately about reframing the way we think about you know, strength and asking for help and setting boundaries and things like that.
0: Definitely. And I think right now, I hope is a turning point in this narrative. I hope with all of the protests, with all of the violence, with all of the conversations that this is slowly the turning point. And especially people like you who are leading the way of trying to get mental health services to women of color. I really hope this is kind of the turning point of getting away from that narrative that, you have to be strong and you have to carry everything by yourself. You can't talk about your problems. And I think it's time that we admit that vulnerability is a form of strength and being able to share your story and your reality is so beautiful and amazing. And that will really help kind of just unload everything that you're dealing with because you're making it about yourself. And I think, you know, yeah, to your point where people like, Oh, I'm selfish. Like I you know I don't know about how to take care of myself and I don't know well self love is a radical act and it's taking care of yourself so that you can serve others in the best way possible and you know we have one life <laughs> and I think right now with the pandemic and everything going on it's more apparent than ever that wow we really have one life and uh how do you want to live it and I think a lot of us need to put the spotlight back on ourselves. How do we want to live? How do we want to feel?
1: What do we want to do? What's going to be our legacy? Right. Right. And I think this pandemic has just been a blessing in disguise because it has given us that space to kind of think about that stuff and slow down and and you know, all of the distractions and the hustle and bustle was literally taken away from us. So we had to face ourselves you know, get real with ourselves, look ourselves in the mirror and and say, okay, what is it that I need in this moment? What is it that I can shift in my life so that I don't return back to this normal way of living? You know, the way we were living was damaging, you know, the grind, the hustle, and having to do it all. That's no way to live. That's no way to live. So I think this pandemic has been helpful for a lot of people in that sense. And ultimately, my client load has Tremendously grown since the pandemic because it has just been a lot with the pandemic. And like you said, all of the racial injustices and things like that, it has been a very traumatic past for a lot of people. And I'm glad that people are not suffering in silence and are, you know, reaching out for help during this time.
0: Yeah, I can't imagine the trauma and. As a white person, obviously, I will never be able to feel that. And it just breaks my heart because I can just imagine empathetically how awful almost every day is when you see the news and everything. And so I think the work that you are doing is so important because if you're dealing with these images, these videos, these headlines, literally nonstop, that's traumatic for anyone, but especially people where you're like, I look like that. And that could be me. That could be my son. And, you know, that's just heartbreaking. And I can't imagine. And, you know, you are doing wonderful work to try to help people go through all of this. And my therapist says, like, everyone is dealing with this pandemic. No one really knows what they're doing or how to process it. It's hard for literally everyone. And, you know, to your point before of, it's a blessing in disguise, and we're forced to kind of face ourselves without all of these distractions. I just want to acknowledge that for some people who are dealing with some issues that are unresolved maybe addiction, maybe codependency, maybe familial issues, um, relationship issues now there's a spotlight on that, and that is so uncomfortable because you can't hide in social distractions. You can't hide here. You might realize that you're trying to hide in work all of the time. And I will just say that as someone that had to face some of my issues head on a few years ago after my nine-year relationship resolved, and I was left alone kind of realizing this is who I am and these are issues that I have that I need to resolve on my own. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. But now that I'm on the other side, I'm so grateful that I went through that work to heal. And I just want to acknowledge for people who maybe are struggling right now because, They're forced to deal with some of the issues that are untreated and unhealed. And, you know, now for better or worse is a time to do that. And I think, you know, as my therapist says right now is all about gentleness and compassion. You have to be gentle with yourself. You have to be compassionate. Something that I tell myself literally every day, because I still have kind of that hustle mindset. Like I have to be working all the time, but I literally like my productivity levels are just way down. Like I'm you know, usually between like 75 to a hundred, I'm always trying to be on the go. Like literally my a hundred is now like a 30. <laughs> and so I'm like running at like 30, 40% most days because everything is so hard to process and it's exhausting. And I don't think anyone's producing the way they were before. And I think that's fine. And I think that's just the way it is right now, because these are remarkable circumstances and So I tell myself every day, I am doing the best I can in this moment. And I just repeat that to myself. I'm doing the best I can in this moment. And it makes me feel better because I'm just, you know, acknowledging that it might not be the way I want it to be, but given my energy levels, my mood, my physicality, that's the best that I can. And so just want to acknowledge that as well.
1: Yeah, I, I'm so grateful for my therapist right now, because like I said, it's been a rough four months and having to take on everything from the work that I do and then my own stuff, dealing with my own stuff and my own trauma and trying to process it all. It it has been a lot, you know, so therapy has just been such an amazing resource, you know, that's essentially what it is. It's another resource that we have in our toolbox in order for us to to manage with everyday life. And people sometimes they don't see it as such or they don't know much about it. So they shy away from seeking it out. But it's essentially a resource that, you know, all of us could benefit from.
0: Definitely. I'm so pro therapy. And I honestly think everyone should go to therapy if they can, whether they're dealing with something or not. And that brings me to the next question about myths. I will say one of the myths that I know to be true is that people think that you have to be in crisis to go to therapy. And that is not true. You can go to therapy at any time. If things are quote good in your life, you don't have to go just when you're at the breaking point, you know, it's kind of preventative maintenance in a way. So I want you to talk about kind of what are some common myths that people believe about therapy that are preventing them maybe from seeking help?
1: Yeah. And like you said, people think that it's for people, you know, if you're crazy or you have serious issues, if you're seeking out therapy, but ultimately the average client just struggles with every, you know, many of the things that we go through, whether it's a huge transition, moving from a different state. Starting a new job, starting a new relationship, ending a relationship, want to learn ways to manage stress from work. You know, it can be a number of things, but it's just all things that we go through as humans. And like you said, I think that it can benefit you whether you are really struggling at that time or that season in your life or not. And I think the more people talk about that and have these conversations within their circles in their communities, you know, hopefully that'll start to kind of shatter these myths a bit and these stigmas around it and I'm so glad that people are doing that work now to to speak out and you know this podcast and things like that is is imperative to get the message out for people to say oh that that doesn't sound that bad, you know another myth is that. Oh, I can just talk to my friends or my family. I don't I don't need to Oh, yes. Yeah, I don't need <laughs> to talk to a stranger about my problems. What are they going to do? They don't know me. How are they going to help? But as you said earlier, your family and friends are super biased, you know? They know you. They're just going to tell you whatever. And then when you do engage with family and friends, it's it's really them dumping on you, you saying, you know, whatever it is that you're going through is not focused time where you have to work through your stuff, you know, because your family and friends can kind of try to monopolize that time in that conversation. And going to seek out a therapist and and having someone that is unbiased, who's non-judgmental, and who's going to really try to get to know you for who you are truly, you know, really get to know your background and things like that, and and try to help you connect the dots. Ultimately, you know, it's our job to just pull stuff out of you, you know, pull those answers out of you. Like you say, oh, I I might not would have seen it that way or um, my brain doesn't think about it in that way. It's our job just to bring it out of you and really collaborate with you along the way. You know, it's not just talk, talking, inventing the whole time. That's another myth. Um, It's an interactive, collaborative process where you all are working together to essentially problem solve, you know, and reach your goals, essentially. So it's all about helping you achieve your goals, coming up with a way to get there, and then ultimately holding you accountable to that. You know, your therapist is there to hold you accountable to seeing those shifts that you want to see in your life. Another one is that you may be forced to take medication if you go see a therapist, Not necessarily. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, not everyone needs medication. And a therapist does not prescribe medication. You know, I rarely even talk about medication. That's another myth, too. Yeah. Yeah. I never really talk, ever talk about medication unless the client brings it up, you know, as something that they may want to explore. Then I may refer them out to a psychiatrist or someone else that could prescribe and do a consultation with them. And even then, I tell them that, you know, It doesn't hurt to have the conversation. You don't have to agree to anything, but it doesn't hurt to have that conversation to see if that's something that you want to go forward with. So, I never try to push medication on anyone.
0: Yeah, definitely a personal decision for sure.
1: Right. Absolutely, everything is a personal decision. And and another myth is that therapists are just going to tell you what to do and things like that. And it's we we're not technically supposed to really give you advice. You know, like I said, we're just we're there as guides. Guides and resources, yeah. Guides and resources, you know, asking you questions to help you problem solve, come up with decisions on your own, because you're not about to hold me liable. <laughs> it's something that you decide to do. <laughs> yeah,
0: you're like a mental circle. You're like, here you go. Right. Look at the options.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, I love therapy, and I just I think of it as once a week. I have at least 50 minutes to take care of myself. Despite everything going on, I know that I'm just going to sit. I'm going to talk about whatever I want to talk about. And it's just going to be for me. And it's great. And I've been seeing my therapist for three years. It started as a couple's thing and that relationship fizzled. And that's why it's been kind of a long road since then, because it was a nine-year relationship and there was a lot of codependency and toxicity to kind of unravel and deal with and looking at patterns and whatnot. So anyways, I'm I'm kind of at the fun part of therapy now, whereas like the first year and a half, like I couldn't wait. Like I was like, I need to go every week. I can't wait. And I would like file all of these things that I need to talk about. And it was just so painful, but also illuminating. And my therapist has seen so much growth from this time where I felt so broken and lost and didn't know what to do. And I, I did just want her to tell me what to do. And she she couldn't, but she just gave me kind of the resources to try to stand on my own two feet again. And then now she sees me stronger and better. And I'm just talking about ways to fine-tune my life. And that is so beautiful, too, to kind of have two different therapy experiences. One where it's like, I literally need this every week. If I could afford it, probably twice a week. Um, you know, really dealing with a huge transition and life change and traumatic issues. And then right now, where it's just kind of more maintenance, it's more, I've done a lot of growth. I've done a lot of healing. And what's beautiful is when your therapist can see that and reflect it back to you. Because sometimes my therapist will be like, the old Melanie would have never done that. And I was just like, oh yeah, like you're right. The old Melanie would have never done that. And that's just so beautiful to have it reflected back to me because then I can remember, oh, I have grown a lot and this is worth it. And I just think therapy is a beautiful space for people to take care of themselves and to have some time that is just for them. And yeah, it's important to find the right therapist, definitely, you know, it's kind of like dating. You might not like some therapist and that's completely fine. Um, I would say give it a month at least, until you give up, you know, cause it could warm up. Like I, I didn't love my therapist at first. Cause I kind of thought she was a little harsh, but actually <laughs> like I needed that harshness. And so like at the end of the month, I was like, I kind of need this someone to call me out, you know, absolutely, because I kind of want just like sweet things and holding my hand. And she didn't really provide that, <laughs> but it's what I needed. So also like be honest with yourself, like, what do you need? Like get yeah. a reality check. Someone that can call you out and tell you, like, these are the issues. This is what you're doing. Like, if you keep doing this, this is what's going to keep happening, recognizing the patterns. So, definitely pro therapy. And, you know, since we're still on this topic, I wanted to talk to you about someone that's new to therapy, maybe they've never gone ever. What can they do to get the most
1: out of it? Or, you
0: know, whether they're new to therapy or whether they're restarting therapy?
1: I think having coming in with some sense of, A need or a goal in mind, you know, even if it's loose, you know, having some sort of idea of what you want to get out of it so that you can ask questions of that therapist, like in your first couple of visits, you know, to make sure that they are a good fit. I think, you know, that is an important piece of the puzzle, having someone that is a good fit and that can address those issues that you have come into therapy for you know, and then being open to the process because it is a journey. It is going to be painful at times. Like you said, it's hard work. Healing is hard work, you know, or being called out is hard. Whatever it is, the process can be hard, but being open to that and embracing that along the way is going to be imperative and being transparent while in therapy. You know, it
0: doesn't help anyone. Yeah, you have to be transparent. Yes. <laughs> you can't select what details like.
1: But... Right, it's a waste of your time, it's a waste of my time if you're in there being fake and phony but not being transparent. You know, in order for us to see some changes, we have to be real with ourselves, you know? And I think that's, that's the first piece is that acknowledgement of, okay, I need some help outside of myself or whatever it may be. So I'm going to do what I need to do. In order to see some changes happen in my life, and, and transparency is a big piece of that. And then I think actually doing the work outside of therapy, you know, doing the work beyond the couch, right? So applying what you're learning in therapy, what you're talking about in therapy, because like you said, we're we're only meeting fifty minutes a week, sometimes even less than that if we're meeting biweekly or monthly and the real work is done in your day-to-day life when you go apply it and then come back, you know, and discuss it and see what worked and what didn't and things like that. So just being open to doing that work, being vulnerable and then, you know, being okay with being held accountable.
0: Definitely and I love that you mentioned transparency because I think that's really important. I remember probably the first year and a half I was in therapy, I just kept Making mistakes, I don't think my therapist necessarily would call them mistakes, but I know they were mistakes for me, and I would think like I don't want to tell my therapist this, like I don't want to tell her that I did this, I don't want to tell her and then I was like, if I'm not honest with her, then what am I doing and so I just you know got brave and I told her, and you know the world didn't end, she didn't hate me, and she's just like, okay, this is a pattern of yours like what how can we do to get out of it and I think being that honest and vulnerable, that yeah, sometimes you're going to continue to mess up and you have to be honest about that and not be scared and recognize that that's part of the healing process. You know, a lot of us are kind of stuck in these dysfunctional patterns that are really hard to get out of. And until we kind of break away from those triggers and those environments to do something different, you know, we're not going to heal. And you mentioned kind of breaking and healing and I remember three years ago, I literally felt like my whole foundation was rubble. I felt like everything had broken and I didn't know how to stand on my two feet without this other person. I didn't even know who I was without this other person. This is codependency, by the way. (laughs) Um, And I was just like, I don't know what to do with this. But then I also had this beautiful moment where I was like, this is all broken I can rebuild something completely different. Yeah, And that was exciting to me. I mean, it was nerve wracking at the time. Cause I was like, I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't even know what I want. I don't even know anything, but now I have been able to rebuild it and be like, Oh, you know what? I like boxing. Oh, you know what? I like dancing. Oh, you know, I like doing personal writing and I can go hiking with my friends and I can do this and I can do that. And look at me. I'm by myself, I have hobbies, I'm taking care of myself, you know, I'm not engaging in the harmful behaviors that kind of were my coping mechanisms in the past. I think that's a big thing, coping mechanisms. I think a lot of people right now in the pandemic, we all have different coping mechanisms. Um, Mine used to be alcohol, and I'm luckily kind of in a phase of not doing that. And I'm, you know, thinking about just ditching it all together, but in the past, that was a huge, you know, coping mechanism. And I think for a lot of people that is, and that's something that we also have to face too, like in times of stress, in times of crisis, what are the coping mechanisms that you have? And look at those without judgment. Right. And, you know, I will say I had a few that were, were not healthy. They were harmful to me. And I was like, I've done these my whole life though. I don't, I don't even know. Like I knew I should exercise. I knew I should meditate. I knew like, I knew the healthy stuff, but I was just felt so stuck. And then like slowly got sick of my own BS right. <laughs> and, start, and started to find things that I liked. And actually for me, finding boxing was great because I hated exercise before that. I was like, I hate exercise. I really do. But then I found boxing and I was like, oh, I like this. So I think also sometimes it has to be something specific that's tailored to you. Keep trying different things. And, you know, that was a great way for me to get out anger and resentment and really take care of my body and my mind and have a healthy coping mechanism. So, yeah,
1: I love that. you <laughs> That was a tangent, that. but <laughs> yeah, no, I love that you mentioned that because I've been there, too, with with alcohol, food, you know, with clients, I see a lot of. Binging on food and things like that, using, you know, emotional eating as a coping mechanism and things like that. So I'm glad you touched on that. You know, those those coping mechanisms that we, like you said, have picked up years ago. Right. And and haven't really thought about them being harmful to us, but they are. And then really getting to the root of why we're turning to those things. What are we really trying to, you know, heal from Utilizing these things. So it is good to get to that root of why we are going to the alcohol, the food, or whatever it may be, you know, sex, drugs, whatever. And then, you know, touching on that specifically.
0: Totally. And I'm not going to lie, like, I have replaced the alcohol with some Ben and Jerry, (laughs) Ben and Jerry's ice cream pints. And, you know, that's kind of like my emotional eating now. And, you know i kind of rationalize it like well it's better than alcohol which it is technically but i think you know the good thing is that i am aware of it and i know that that's what i'm doing and you know like now i'm in my second week of not buying a pint where i was like buying like two pints a week for like a month <laughs> and like eating them in like a day or two which is insane but i think awareness is important and so it's like okay i'm i'm aware of that's what i'm doing And yeah, kind of what you said, trying to address like, what am I really feeling? This is clearly like stress or anxiety. Like, is there a way that I can do this differently? Actually, a suggestion um, to kind of cure, not cure, but deal with my Ben and Jerry's cravings. I actually make this banana vegan ice cream. Yeah. It's frozen banana, cinnamon, and peanut butter and almond milk. So good. It's so good. Yeah, that sounds good. So if you want like a healthy vegan, ice cream alternative, like whenever I'm really craving Ben and Jerry's and like, let's just make the vegan banana ice cream. And you know, it's sweet with the cinnamon and the banana and the peanut butter, it's all thick and the almond milk, like, I love it. So that's a little hack for people. And I think that's another good thing. Like when you recognize what your coping mechanisms are, find a different replacement. So this past week, I've been having a lot of banana ice cream <laughs> because I'm like, let's not go back to the Ben and Jerry's. And so as we look at the harmful coping mechanisms. Let's replace them with positive ones. Because I think a lot of people just think like, oh my gosh, I can't eat. I can't drink. It feels like deprivation and like you're taking something away from me, but then you have to replace it with something different, something positive, you know?
1: Right. Right. It's not about, like you said, that deprivation. It's the same thing when we're looking at money and and people think of a budget being like, you know, being on punishment or being deprived of things. But it's ultimately just a plan for your money. You're just telling your money where to go. So coming up with a, a coping plan, in a sense, you know, for your life, because life is going to continue to happen. We're going to get stressed. Things are going to happen we're going to experience losses and, you know, different things throughout the course of our life. So how are we managing in those moments when this stuff happens?
0: Definitely. I think that's super important in coming up with that plan, both for your money and your mental health. And that kind of leads me to my last question. So you are a therapist and a business owner. And I recently saw that you posted that you took a day off for self-care and rest and how important it was A lot of us, including myself, have this idea, like you said, we have to be productive all the time. We have to be hustling. And when we're not, there's a lot of feelings of guilt. I know that I experience that still, and I'm trying to just like get over it. And so I'm wondering how you, um, for yourself and potentially for others, deal with those feelings of guilt by quote, not being productive when you need to rest.
1: Yeah. And and I think for me, it was really like, challenging and reframing that mindset that I have to be on a hundred, on a thousand at all times, you know, that's ridiculous. When I was working to that capacity and staying up until three, four five in the morning, working on my business and doing other stuff, I was dead tired the next day, burnt out, couldn't do anything. I couldn't do anything productive because I was just beating myself into the ground working and ultimately, rest is a part of productivity, being productive. We have to have rest breaks. Our body craves it. It needs it in order to function, in order to keep going. So I had to really tell myself that it is actually productive for me to take rest because I know that when it is time for me to show up again, I'll be well rested. I'll be you know, more focused and able to get the job done or whatever it is that I need to do I'll be able to be more engaged as a result of me taking that rest. So not only did I take that one day of rest, I took three or four days of rest last week, and then I oh, I love yes, it. Yes, and then this week I am resting as well until Thursday. So I yeah. used to, like you said, struggle with that feel, those feelings of guilt and feeling lazy and irresponsible and worthless. Essentially, you know, I think my self worth was tied into. How much I worked, and it was ridiculous, and a lot of the times when I was working like that, I wasn't really getting much done because I couldn't concentrate. I was tired, I was zero tired right. yeah, so I would rather you know work ten focused minutes in a day versus ten hours where I'm just you know pushing papers or looking at the different tabs on my computer and not really getting anything done. So we really have to just be intentional about the time that we have and build in that rest into our days. Every single day, we need rest. We need breaks.
0: I love that you said rest is part of a productivity plan. And I think that's so important because I've totally been there where I've worked so hard and then the next day I'm burnt out and I I can barely work. And I'm like, well, I got a lot of stuff done yesterday, but now I'm not really getting anything done. Like maybe if I would have just rested a little bit then I could have evened it out and worked more. And you know, when we have sleep, I think, you know, we show up better for work. We do a better job. Our mood is better. I know like if I have less than six hours of sleep, I don't want anyone around me. Honestly, it's for their own good. <laughs> because I am I am cranky. I am so cranky when I have less than six hours of sleep. And that's like not a cute look. It's not a fun look. And so, yeah, know how much sleep you need because everyone needs different sleep. Like, honestly, my body prefers nine hours. I know that sounds like a lot and it is a lot. But every time I let myself sleep in without an alarm, it just happens to be I sleep nine hours. So I'm like, OK, that's what my body needs. And I'm not going to fight that. Like if my body needs nine hours as much as possible. I'm going to try to give my body nine hours. And that's, you know, restorative. That's building up the battery that's taking care of yourself. Like during sleep, you're getting so much, your body's working overtime to heal and to save itself from from destruction. So I love all of that. And I really appreciate you sharing your thoughts with us, Kristen.
1: Thanks for having me, Melanie. This was a pleasure. It was fun.
0: Yeah, this is (laughs) so great. I love all of the tips you shared. And it's been a blast to have you back on the show, you know, since the Lola retreat days a couple of years ago. I wanted to uh, ask, where can people find you?
1: I can be found at com and on Instagram at HerTherapySpace. And also my personal brand page is Kristen Winchester LPC on Instagram. Perfect. Check her out.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. If you like what you heard today, please subscribe and leave a review. If you want to suggest a topic or simply say hello, you can reach me at mentalhealthandwealthshow at gmail.com. You can check out the rest of our content at mentalhealthandwealth.com. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.